The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Late day drop, then next day pop. Blame it on the option traders, they say. All about year-end positioning and our guest, Brian Dress of Left Brain Research. All this and much more on episode number 848 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. to the, I guess, the second last show of the year. Yep, Christmas is coming. Just a, it's tomorrow, actually. <laughs> and we have markets closed on Monday. We have a coming week, just a shortened holiday week, four days. Then on the other side, we have New Year's on the first is going to be uh, celebrated on Monday as well. So we have uh, two Mondays in a row where markets are actually closed. And uh, we're going to have a repeat of... Uh, some good things, hopefully, in 2024. We'll see. We'll talk about that with our guests coming up. And, you know, when we look at uh, what's happened to the end of 2023, well, we have the continuation of the Momo trade. And that's something we're going to talk about. By the way, I'm Andrew Horowitz. Thanks for joining me this week, every week on the Disciplined Investor Podcast, as well Tuesdays with my guest and good friend, John C. Dvorak, where we have a podcast called DH Unplugged. And on DH Unplugged, we... We take the news that's going on and some theories and things that are happening out there, and we try to make them much more understandable, break them down, and really look at them for what they're worth and, and provide some further education and, and a little bit more, I would say, entertainment uh, in the way of, uh, of, of, of bringing in some very interesting games that we play and other things to the podcast each week. So thanks for joining me. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you and your family. Thank you so much for joining me, of course. So we saw this quarter, obviously, was a substantial amount of, of, of people saying, you know what, well, maybe things have gone too far, and maybe the Fed's going to pull back, and, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to start investing, and then things just really snowballed upon themselves. That was good. So I know it was a great quarter, unless you were short or you had some uh, – desire to be totally out of the markets for whatever reason. I know that most people that I've talked with have had a really good quarter because pretty much there was broad-based participation over the last couple of months. I know our clients, we did, we had a really nice quarter. So hopefully everybody is happy now, right? We see the GDP was revised a little bit lower this week, but I mean, it was just marginally. Leading indicators were sharply negative. UK inflation is falling off a cliff, if you saw what happened all there. And we learned that... Uh, there's deflation starting. Last week on DH and Plug, we talked about, look at all these items that on a year-over-year -year basis, on a non-seasonally adjusted basis, are actually showing negative price growth. Negative price growth. So this idea that deflation is actually coming, and we saw some things this week uh, just on Friday with the PCE, 
which is the Fed's uh, favorite gauge, they say, of inflation, which is the personal consumption expenditures rise, but not so much. We saw that new home sales actually were about 100000 off of where they expected. And it's really interesting what's happening when we see these unadjusted trends in almost every category down year over year. And if you take out just one thing, if we don't look at close our eyes to housing and rental prices, those are the things that are really holding inflation up right now. But pretty much across the board, everything else is negative on a year-over-year basis. Of course, the big thing that we have to look at, and really what's, I think, driving a lot of this is the price of oil plummeting. Even with all the, the unrest in the Middle East and everything that's going on, it's a big part of what's going on in Costville is the fact that, that oil and petroleum products are a lot cheaper, and that's funneling through and filtering itself all the way down to yours and my wallets. I mean, I pay, paid, I think, sub $3 per gallon over the last several weeks. So it's important. So we're going to go get into this. We're going to talk about some insights into, um, and I have a lot of questions. That's why I'm mentioning this, with our, our guest, Brian Dress. Talk about what's going on and looking back into 2023. A thing that I like to do a lot in December is reflect on what's happened to learn and, and glean some insights of what we could do maybe to make ourselves better in 2024, the next year. And um, the thing is, you know, I, I mentioned this and, and I've talked about this and I, and I keep on talking about it. And hopefully you're not getting bored with this by now. But as, as I mentioned, it's a great time of year to stop, reflect, take a moment saying there's something new happening for nothing more than we can. And reason that we just could do this, whether it's doing a portfolio review. I know, I know, you know, why did you look at anything? It was a great year last year. And uh, why would I change anything? Nobody's saying change anything. But if you think that, 2024, 2025, and forward is going to be just like 2023 and just keep your portfolio the way it is? Uh, seriously? Probably needs a little review. Somehow, some way, rather than just saying, oh, you know what? I don't look. Hopefully it's doing well. Or, you know, I just did it. It is what it is. I mean, there's an opportunity that we take every year, this time of year, to look for maybe some of those legacy positions and clients' portfolios and see what kind of taxation benefits we can get from them, or even look to finding areas that we can enhance in their portfolio to really create some better diversification opportunities in a way that is very effective moving forward. So there's a lot of options that you have, but you just have to get off your keister. You know, you just have to do something about it. Thinking about it is not going to make you rich. I know there's a Think and Grow Rich uh, series out. I get that, but that's not what it's all about. There's some action that needs to be taken. I'm encouraging you to do something. Find a way to go out and, and actively find what's going on in your portfolio. Find what's the worst idea, what's the best idea that you have in the portfolio and your best idea moving forward on how to move that worst idea up the range into a better idea. Make sense? That's all I ask for for the new year. With that, let's let's take a look. Let's talk about that. Let's uh, get into our discussion with today's guest. Let's uh, bring him on right now. And our guest today is Brian Dress, and he's an investment advisor for Left Brain and also holds the position of director of research. He works with high net worth investors and families 
on tax-efficient investments and financial planning strategies to help them achieve their financial goals and dreams. Well, why not, right? What, 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 oh, that's good. He began his investing career in uh, 05 and joined Left Brain in 2018. And uh, he's got all sorts of really good things after his names. He's a CFA. He went to Georgetown and all that. So, dude, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Andrew. Great to be with you again. I appreciate it. Listen, I wanted to go over like some, kind of a, a little bit of a look back, look forward. You know, that's the time of year to do this. It's the holiday season. A lot of people are reflecting. Last couple of shows, I talked about this whole idea of taking a moment to just stop. Just, you know, just just stop and, and look around, right? What's going on, what you did. And, and more importantly, I, I brought the idea the last several conversations on the show about, you know, what's the importance of a new year or a birthday or a, a quarter, an end of a quarter? You know, what's all that about, right? It, it, if nothing else, it's just a moment in time where you can reflect and plan and look forward and say, okay, I'm forced to do so because it's the new year, right? This year, I'm no longer going to short stocks that are just going up. This year, I'm not going to buy stocks that are just going down, right? Or whatever it may be that's in your in your arsenal. But let's talk about, you know, some of the things that we saw last year and, and where we're going. Um, I guess we can start maybe with interest rates. And, and it's been quite a um, an experience. I've been doing this, I think, a little bit longer than you have. I've been doing this since um, the 80s, <laughs> Mr. Old Man here. And, uh, and, uh, I've seen a couple of interest rate cycle. This one was pretty severe. Yes. Um, probably as severe as any, um, uh, you know, I'm a historian of the markets looking back, you don't really see interest rate cycles that move this quickly. Um, obviously as we reflect, seems the fed was a little bit too easy for too long, kind of put themselves in a difficult box. And here we are kind of dealing with the remnants of that. Um, so it's been a tough few years in the markets. You know, interest rates sort of drive everything, and it's been hard for uh, for all investors because if you're owning stocks, if you own bonds, it didn't really matter. You were kind of losing um, throughout this whole cycle. So, oh, we that, got, we got everybody. Everybody got with this. Bonds got a little bit back this year in 2023. Stocks got depending on what stocks, right? Equal sure. weighted versus. So I look at the equal weighted as the average investor. I look exactly. at you know market cap weighted as. Um, you know, wow, the wishful investor in good times. And the thank God I didn't do that investor in bad times. Right. <laughs> right. You know, um, but when we look at the interest rates, you mentioned something, you said, you know, it, it's, it's driving everything. Now, again, I can remember a time that we didn't have a situation where interest rates always drove everything. But I think that, you know, since the financial crisis and that's the modern day investor, we'll call it that. What's happened is that everybody's watching interest rates. And, and by the way, I got to say this, CNBC has got to be the biggest, I don't know, creeps when it comes to this. Because they, I don't know if you've noticed this, if you watch it ever. for Try like the, For the last couple of years, they asked the, every, every guest the same question. What is the Fed going to do? Like every single guest all day long, they got this thing going on that's all about the, the Fed. And I think that has permeated the conscious and the psyche of investors. Do you, do you feel that? I do. It feels like everything's binary to that, right? Um, and certainly over the last few years, I guess, especially coming out of COVID when we had the huge, um, you know, spike down in rates. And ever since everything has kind of moved according to rates. And uh, what we're excited about is now that the Fed has decided to be on pause and maybe start to 
um, come down off of this uh, hawkish view is that maybe we're going to be able to get back to the fundamentals of investing, the fundamentals of businesses and looking for the best businesses at the best prices and stop kind of looking at, you know, everything as a, a binary is the Fed hawkish is the Fed dovish and then acting according, accordingly from there. So that's interesting. You mentioned the, the, the idea of investing with fundamentals, because one of the things that goes into the fundamental analysis is what are the comparatives? Like, what can I get otherwise? And that's why for years when we had Tina, where there, was, there is no alternative, right. when you had zero interest rates, it wasn't just only about zero interest rates. Like, okay, where am I going to invest my money? Well, uh, I can go to the bank and get zero, or I can buy these dividend yielding stocks, these utilities. Mm-hmm. And they did really well. But there's another calculation. You're the director of research, so we'll talk about this. Sure. There's another calculation that goes into play when we're looking at discount models and things of that nature, which I want you to explain, that utilizes interest rates that is supposed to be, well, supposed to be, it is it is, it is uh, valuation 101, I guess, right? Sure. Yeah, so we're going to evaluate stocks based on discounted cash flows from the future. And of course, we're going to have to discount that by some factor. And that factor is the interest rate, uh, kind of the going rate, or a lot of people use the 10-year treasury rate. So as that 10-year treasury rate goes higher, um, future cash flows are evaluated at a lower uh, at a lower valuation in present day. So that's what you saw in a lot of growth stocks over the last few years was as interest rates went higher, we saw a lot of those growth stocks fall in terms of their multiples contracting. And uh, that's why we say it kind of drives everything um, from fixed income. It's obviously a driver of what happens in fixed income, but uh, a little bit less, obviously, a driver of what happens um, in the stock market. And then also you have to think about from the business point of view, um, interest rates are a cost. So people, you know, these companies have cost of capital. So as interest rates go higher, of course, that's going to make it everything difficult, more difficult for them if they have to issue bonds, if they have to go out and issue stock, uh, everything's a little bit more expensive. So when I say kind of interest rates drive everything, um, you can see how it happens at a number of different levels for uh, from a company's point of view. So one of the things that you have as an investor is the idea that, okay, well, if that's the case and we have a lower interest rate, then we can value stocks higher, especially those that have better growth potential in the future. And then right. you have the exact opposite is what we saw in 2022. As rates were going up, everybody did a freak attack. And they said, oh my God, get rid of everything, dump it. It's never coming back. And we saw all the big stocks get slammed, particularly the growth stocks and the technology and the biotech and the um, any stock that really didn't have any earnings. That was doubly a problem. Sure. So we enter 2023 with, hey, wait a minute, maybe we've reached a plateau eventually in rate hikes, which we did. And uh, they went bananas. Now, wh- where where are we with the valuation at this point? Is it is it fair? Is it? I mean, what are you looking at? What are you seeing? So I think it's interesting because if you look back, a lot of the stocks that we're looking at in the growth sector did really well in 2020. And, uh, you know, as you as you alluded to, did really well because multiples expanded when interest rates went lower. Um, really good companies at the same time. But, um, you know, that was the issue is, you know, we're looking at companies with a lot of great growth potential, but we got to 2021, interest rates started going up and those stocks had to come down just because of the ar- arithmetic around valuations. Um, what we think right now, these can, these companies continue to innovate, continue to do well in spite of their stock prices being in the wilderness. What we think now could happen is- well, that, Wilderness uh, or stratosphere? Uh, well, they were in the stratosphere and then into the wilderness. Um, <laughs> which is which is the further stratosphere. 
Yeah, exactly. So um, what we think may happen as we go forward into 2024, you know, we continue to follow a lot of these companies. We'll talk about a few here in a few minutes, but um, that continue to do well, continue to grow earnings or become, uh, you know, net income positive. But then you also have this opportunity where if we're going to be in a falling rain environment, they can also grow from a multiple standpoint. So you have that dual engine of possible possibility for stock prices to go higher, which is earnings continue to grow, and then you have multiple expansions. So that's uh, a huge contrast to what we've seen over the last couple of years. However, it seems something is going on with investors these days. It seems that they want to have all their growth immediately. Now, maybe it's not different than the past, but when we look at some of the stock prices and maybe the reason why they went to the stratosphere into the wilderness is because People are like, hey, I don't want to wait to see it. I'm going to get it now. AI is a perfect example of that, right? Sure. We saw out of nowhere, fascinating, how all of a sudden everybody at the exact same time unveiled all their AI. Did you, did you, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, it, I, think, I think to your point, you know, things just happen much faster now. So obviously information, everyone has the same information. They don't have, you don't have that sort of, um, asymmetric information that you may have had in previous decades. So uh, things tend to happen faster. Um, but what, you know, with growth stocks, you want to look at a company that that's why we want to really stick to the fundamentals. So if you have a company that you think is, um, you know, has a great opportunity to continue on that growth trajectory, then you're happy to pay, you know, a higher price. Yep. Um, so you have to be discerning, of course, uh, I do take your point that, you know, maybe everything moves all at once. And that means there are opportunities, which is probably to sell overvalued issues and, right. to, and to buy issues that don't quite necessarily keep up with those trends. But um, always opportunities out in the market. And, um, you know, also to circle back on in, in terms of rates, uh, we still think there's opportunities in fixed income now, too. You know, we didn't talk about this yet, but um income investors couldn't find any yield for years, years, for years or decades. And, um, you know, we've been jumping up and down on the table all year for, for investors to buy fixed income with longer maturity dates, um, 10 years and, and longer, because we think this is a kind of a, almost a generational opportunity to lock in some of these really, really quality yields and quality companies. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit peeved. I keep seeing these articles. Should you buy, uh, a 12 month CD at 5% uh, really irks me because I, I'm always thinking the first question in my mind is what are you doing after 12 months if rates are lower? Well, that's a problem. And that's why when we're laddering up for client portfolios, we're doing, you know, three, four months if we're doing that if it's short term, you know, because exactly. otherwise, you know, what happens then? Well, it's easy enough to make a decision on a two, three month basis. One year later, whole different environment. But let me ask you, I want to push back a little bit of something. You mentioned a generational Please. opportunity. I, I would like to, you don't have to change your mind, but I'm just telling you my opinion. Uh, sure. It's a cyclical opportunity. I mean, I've been around when generationally, you know, we went from 14% back whenever that was mm -hmm. uh, down to zero, you know, take that full range out. Sure. Uh, you know, now we went halfway back or the third of the way back up there. Now I'm not suggesting we're going to get to Paul Volkerville with, you know, 12, 13, 14% rates on CDs and short-term debt and all and short-term um, uh, uh, short sure. part of the curve is out of control. I'm not saying that. However, I just don't know, is 5% really like that? Oh my God, that's awful. And that, that we're going to have to come down. The only thing I could say and possibly agree with you is, well, yeah, because we have so much debt that we've accumulated. There's just no way in hell we're going to be able to pay this and they're going to have to 
find ways to reduce down the the price while um, you know at the same time looking at this in a way that will allow for inflation to kind of plot along um, and and same time have a reasonable level that that payments are to be made for uh, debt payments to be made for, by the government. Cause, cause um, you're not, you're not wrong. I, I do have, and this, this is a topic could be an entirely different show, but I, I have my own theories on that. The seventies was, it was an outlier and a one-off. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go with but, that. But I think, um, I think you're right. It, it, it may not be generational. That may, may be the wrong word, but you know, all year we were looking at corporate bonds in seven, eight, 9% land. And, um, you know, that's a great opportunity, even if rates stay high, elevated sure. kind of to where they are now. Sure. I'm um, thinking from the standpoint of an income investor and needing those income streams in retirement, just a terrific opportunity. And um, even in just the last couple of years, in the last couple of months, we've seen um, those rates in, in the same quality yep. bonds down at six, 7%. So um, still a good opportunity if you need those income streams, but um, that, that moment starting to pass. I do, I do take your point and this is part of our thesis and we try not to be too macro oriented, but you're right uh, with the government debt, as large as it is, it's hard for, it's hard going to be hard for the fed to keep rates, uh, keep rates high yeah. for long. Right. Just because the debt service is so um, onerous. So um, really no, no choice, but to move lower uh, in rates, but also um, the on the positive side, we've seen that trajectory and in inflation coming down for the last 18 months pretty persistently. And that's uh, a really positive from the rate point of view. Yep. Um, and it makes you think, you know, we're not going to have to be up here for too much longer. And it's nice that we'll be cutting into a, an economy that's already pretty strong. Um, should be a really bullish environment for investors. You would think so. I mean, the one thing, let me say, again, bring, just, just hold back because there's a few things I want to talk about. I want to talk about the January fact. I want to talk about small caps. The uh, the one thing that's I, I think the biggest wild card for me in terms of fixed income right now is credit quality, and what sure. I mean by that is I think it's relatively I don't want to say easy, but it's to, to kind of see rates and the ranges. You know, we're not going to go back down to zero. We're not going to go to twelve. I think we both agree with those two points, right? I agree. I do uh, agree. So so the range of possibilities there is a little bit tighter. The concern I have is credit quality and, and, you know, where do we go with valuations as high as it is the, the income, um, for example, the high yield market, small, small cap, high yield market. Is that going to hold? Again, I'm not asking for an answer. This is just a rhetorical question that I think that credit quality is something that is probably more important right now when we look forward, considering all the things that are happening in the world and, and the, and the potential for, uh, maybe not a slowdown to a, a, you know, a deep depression or anything like that, but, you know, it's somewhat of a slower macro backdrop. Is, is that something that you're looking at? So it's interesting you say that because um, this is kind of the, one of the biggest uh, indicators we've been looking at all year. We've kind of been in the no recession camp um, mm-hmm. for the whole year. And the, one of the big reasons is the credit spreads have been pretty narrow. Right. Um you know, a lot of a lot of smart investors say the bond market is is a much better predictor of what's going to happen than the stock market. Much bigger market, much more sophisticated players generally there. Um, so it's interesting, like you said, credit credit spreads are quite narrow. Credit quality is important, but if we go into a more expansionary economic phase, more like more than likely than not, um, credit quality is going to be better. Um, 
the one variable we have is in 2020, a lot of companies did refinancing of debt at extremely low coupon rates, you know, two, 3%. And as a lot of these bonds come due in say 25, 26, and, and around those, those timeframes, they're going to have to go back out and refinance at higher levels. Um, so that could be one fly in the ointment there. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of fixed income investing, we want to be looking at companies that have, you know, strong cash flows and have demonstrated an ability to have access to capital markets. So I think those are the two main things that you need to look at. Again, we want to be micro oriented. We don't want to be macro oriented that there's a macro story there, but every story, every credit story is different. So you got to look down below the hood and see, you know, are these companies, what you're really trying to find out is, you know, are they credit worthy? Can they get more financing uh, to roll over their debts? And um, so that's different for every company. And that's, one of the big things that we focus on is, is owning individual bonds and you got to do some work underneath to decide, um, you know, does this double B bond, not all double B bonds are the same, I guess is the point I'm yep, trying to make. No, I hear you. Let's talk about uh, some other finer items, you know, things like, um, you talk about the January effect, but let's skip ahead for a second and sure. think a little bit further out in small caps and large caps. Let's talk about the, the, the breadth. We'll talk about the participation in the market. I thought 2023 was interesting in that there was, you know, there was this, there was this, Initial rise on a few stocks that had heavy market cap weighting that just, you know, drew up the indices, maybe not the underlying. And then we start of all of a sudden had a roll and and, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you know what, if they're selling those, let's buy these. Or maybe they bought those because they were selling those. Or maybe who knows what the chicken and egg was on that whole thing on that, right? Right. But, you know, we have these, this name that we put on these stocks the Magnificent Seven. Again, another moniker from I don't know where it came from, <laughs> but it's being pushed, right? There have been names on things over the years, you know, whether it's the Dogs of the Dow concept, but that was more of a process. You know, you have the Nifty 50. You know, you have all these different things. And I don't know, MAGA or, or FANG. It seems to me that once you start naming them and doing this, it's like, wait a second, that's a problem. Once everybody knows something is working so well, I don't know. It seems to me that they really dominated 2023 for the most part of the year. You talk about, you know, companies with uh, market caps bigger than Italy and, you know, them being (laughs) up 40, 50 percent for the year. That's pretty extraordinary. Is this something that we should think about um, when we look at the reality of what our portfolios do? You know, what what a diversified portfolio does, what the average investor's portfolio does versus what an index does, because I think this is bastardizing the whole market cap index thesis. It's, it's, yeah, it is. It, it, yeah, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. No, I think it's making indexing dangerous um, in a way because you're uh, obviously indexing has become much more in vogue in the, in the investing world. You've described a lot of herd behavior. Um, we're seeing a lot of that in a lot of different aspects of the market. This is one of the biggest ones because it's self-fulfilling. As people put money into index funds, it's going to drive up those higher those stocks that are in the top of the index, and it's a self fulfilling prophecy. Um, so there is there is actually a fair bit of risk in that because you you know you look at portfolios, we look at prospect portfolios coming in, you look at the underlying of what they own, and you'll see eight, nine, ten, eleven percent in any given portfolio and maybe Apple or Microsoft, they think they're diversified because they own eight funds, but they all own kind of the same stuff. Yeah, exactly um, the same stuff. And it's, it's definitely worrying. Um, 
By the way, that's something really important. Let's not skip over that point sure. just for a moment. Overlap. Overlap. That's what you were just talking about. Exactly. You got three funds in the domestic equity area. You're like, I am diversified. What do you got? Well, I got the Fidelity large cap. Uh-huh. I got the American funds uh, growth fund. Uh-huh. And I got the SPY. I'm like, oh, well, I hate yeah. to break it to you, bub, but you have exactly the same thing. Three things, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so um, it's important, though, to look at the breakdown of, of particularly when it comes to indexing, right? In a portfolio construction process, we do this. I spent a lot of time on this. You know, it's the whole idea of, is there overlap? And you, know, see, you can't always get away from some overlap, a little bit here and there. But it's important to, to, to have distinctive differentials within the underlying portfolios when you construct the portfolio allocation. Would you, would you, what do you say about that? Of course. Um, I'll go back to your magnificent seven and let's, let's finish that thought is um, it's very unhealthy to see a market driven by just a handful of stocks like that. And um, from our, from our vantage point, we think maybe there was some flight to quality there in the beginning of, of 2023. And uh -huh. uh, I guess the first three quarters, you know, the, the flight to quality used to be, I'm going to buy 30 year treasury bonds and kind of hide out. But of course, without a, in a rising rate environment, that doesn't work. So uh, we think a lot of, a lot of investors were just trying to hide out in these magnificent seven um, to, to avoid, you know, avoid losses at other places, as you saw, you know, the other 493 stocks in the, in the S and P, at least for the first 10 months of the year, really underperformed and didn't perform. Um, so I guess one of the things that's most healthy about what we're seeing is, is that thing broadening out. I think there is some reasonability to why some of those stocks are continuing to grow. I mean, look at Microsoft, for instance, mm, um, you know, do it, they're huge in the AI game, uh, Nvidia. So these, these companies are on the cutting edge of the, the coming trends and are really juggernaut companies, but at the same time, you don't want clients owning 10, 12% of their portfolio in any one given name. I don't think that makes a lot of sense. Um, but what we were seeing was in the first 10 months of the year, the Russell underperformed the S and P 500 by 15%. So, Unbelievable. um, just a sign of a really, we think, um, not the most healthy market, even think, even though things were going higher, you know, we kept looking at the, as you mentioned, the equal weighted S and P and it'd be up three, 4% for the year when the overall S and P is up 20 and you're just kind of scratching your head wondering what's going on. But since 20, uh, October 27th, we've seen a 10% outperformance of Russell uh, toward S to, to the SPX. Um, and it's up, up, up nearly 25% since October 27th. Unbelievable. So. That, that, that down and the up was the parabolic move on all indices, but particularly on smallies, was unbelievable. Exactly. But I think that's, that's what uh, one of the things that has us most excited about next year and the next few years is we think it's a really unique time with a lot of really quality merchandise, uh, i.e. stocks out there trading at low prices. Like I said, these are companies that a lot of companies that were darlings and, you know, four or five years ago kind of went in the wilderness from a stock price perspective. They kept doing their business. And, um, you know, the weak ones, of course, aren't there anymore, but the strong ones are trading at extremely low prices compared to what they were before. So, that's what's really got us excited is, and also the fact that investors are starting to take a little bit, a little bit of risk, dip their toe outside of that magnificent seven, looking for other opportunities in the growth space, um, where really it's almost a value situation. Uh, some of these growth stocks 
are a huge value right now, given where they trade. So you're talking about, let's go back to January for a second. I mean, I, sure. I flushed out the point, I flushed out the point about um, overlap. So the January effect is, there's different ways to interpret this, right? You know, there's, there's a January market guide of, you know, what goes in January goes for the year concept, right? What starts sure. out hot continues hot. That's another January thing, right? Um, and yes. then there's a small cap sale. And then at the end of the year, uh, when I say small cap, smaller cap, it's not just small caps, mm -hmm. it's smaller cap sure. and thinly traded. Non-mega cap. Yeah, non-mega non cap. Sell off at the end of the year, buy back 30 days later, right? So yes. we saw some of the things that are going on. I know that you mentioned to me offline that one of the things that you guys are watching is is January for the first month of 2024. What What particularly are you looking at? So just to kind of go over the January effect is, you know, a lot of market participants have noticed this effect where stocks that do really well in January tend to do well for the rest of the year. There are any number of reasons for that. Like you mentioned, there is kind of the capital gain, capital loss uh, play that, that many investors do at the end of the previous year. And so a lot of times you're seeing buyback in those stocks in January. If you look back to last year or to this year, I guess we're ending up in 2023 here, but um, if you look at NVIDIA, Meta, Uber, uh, Royal Caribbean, Pulte Homes, um, Palo Alto and Tesla, those are companies in a bunch of different. And those were um, all beaten up to crap in 2023, exactly. in 2022. All, all in different, all in different industries. Mm -hmm. So it's not an industry phenomenon. These stocks were all up um, quite well in January and they're all up over hundred percent for this year. So this is something that we look at. Um, we're going to be looking at going into 2024 is kind of what stocks are hot in 24 I guess people come back with a clear mind in the beginning of the year, tend to, you know, put thesis to work, put money to work. And um, so we're going to be looking at that as. Do you look uh, at it more towards the to end of the month though? Because, you know, if you think about 30 days, people want to judge where they are for the, for the wash sale rules. Right. So they want to judge right. where they are at the end or mid, mid to end of, of December. So you got to look then mid to end of January. Right. Yeah, of course. We're so we're gonna we'll sit down at the end of January. We'll watch the trends as they go for the uh, for the month. But we'll sit down at the end of the January, see what's happening, see if there are any names that are doing well that are connecting with what we want to do from a fundamental point of view. Yeah, and then from there maybe make some moves for clients. But mm. you know, we're really happy with what we own right now. We've um, been trimming, pairing, changing, and doing all those things for the last two years. Finally, feel that we're at a place where. We're positioned for the situation, and we're we're ready to go. Mm. Um, and ho hopefully, That's getting good. back to the getting back to the world of not making a lot of changes. We'd rather be long term holders and kind of watching, not uh, not participating quite as right. much. It's funny because there's a lot of things that um, there's a lot of what we talked about in the beginning. This this knee jerk reaction to things, you know, of of uh, bad sales or uh, you know, you look at. Um, last week, for example, Nike. Nike came out with earnings last week. I think it was on Thursday, Thursday night. And uh, what was interesting was that their numbers was were okay. Their margins were about a point better than they were. Well, that was good because they were sinking margins for a while. Um, sure. And actually, inventory was down. There was a lot of good things inside the report, right? And and by the way, Nike uh, last quarter was just in just dire straits, right? The, the, the yeah. stock looked horrible. And... Um, so we, we, we kind of looked at that, and that was interesting. And then it just started coming up like crazy into this earnings. Nike announced a $2 billion cost reduction program and an outlook that was uh, not so good. You know, the, the they said that the sales are softening, which, by the way, was on the heels of FedEx the day before, which right. said that things are softening too, which, uh, you know, 
one company, two companies, you know, okay. Right. You know, but that's two things right there. They're two, nothing slouchy about Nike, nothing slouchy about FDX. Right. No. So something of a concern. Um, and then we saw the PCE come out on Friday and it was kind of like benign, you know, 2.8%, 3%, um, in the, as they call it, the Fed's favorite gauge. Um, yes. So looking into into some of the things that have gone on in, um, I guess, from a turnaround standpoint, right? And, and you know, the, the, the idea that, well, um, when we saw last, these, for, for example, Nike, FedEx, we just talked about, right? They, they kind of came up a lot. Now they're getting their, their hats handed to them right now. Um, sure. But what do you do and how do you look at stocks that are just, you know, dusted to the side? And we could name the laundry list of all those, right? That they're just out there. And that uh, all of a sudden you're like, you know what? Maybe there's something uh, desirable about this. And how do you figure out where, number one, that you're at that point, And number two, that it's time to do so. So we're always looking, especially in this context. So you've got a lot of companies that have struggled for a couple of years. What we're looking for is reacceleration. So in growth, in growth land, um, one thing that can really hurt you is if you have a growth stock and that growth trajectory breaks, you are going to get punished. And so that's the type of stock you want to, you want to cut bait when that happens, if you're holding a stock and, and the growth rate collapses, the mm -hmm. opposite is true as well. So when you see that reacceleration in a company that, uh, you know, was doing well, was maybe growing 40, 50%, kind of got too big, couldn't really, you know, handle all that growth. And then there's management changes and things like that. And then you look for that time when they start to pull back from a cost point of view. So Meta was a great example of last year. We, uh, we liked Meta for years, but they were spending all this money on Metaverse. Uh, costs were out of control. When I changed my mind on Meta was that first quarter report this year when Zuckerberg said, we're going to stop spending all this money on Meta right. Metaverse. Right. We're going to start. Um, this is the year of efficiency, he said. So um, that's when I changed my mind on Meta. And that's when you knew because you knew the earnings trajectory was going to change because they're going to, you know, rationalize those costs and you're going to get that growth again. So those are the types of things we're looking for. You got to get down under the hood. We love reading the earnings calls, transcripts from these companies because all the information that you need is right there. That's the beauty of, uh, of stock, the stock market, you know, it's different from sports gambling. Cause you don't know who's hurt, who's sick, whose uh, wife isn't doing well, whatever. Well, all the information's out there for stock market. So much easier gamble from our point of view, because you can take a look at what's going on under the neath the hood of the company. And they're going to tell you uh, things aren't so great. Like, like maybe you would, would have read in Nike's uh, report the other day. And then also you're going to see something like in meta where we're changing our game plan and then you get, get to see that play out in the future quarters. Uh, that's what we love about choosing stocks. All that information's out there for you. However, however, let's be honest. Most uh, CEOs, CFOs, uh, they're not going to come out and say, you know, things suck. I mean, it's, no, <laughs> no. You know, there's I mean, a lot you, of sugarcoating that goes on with everything. Of course, but you, the numbers are still there. Yeah, that's so true. you can, right. you can, you can take a look at their tra trajectory and then you can test them over a period of quarters. So, um, you know, if a company disappoints, three, two, three, four quarters in a row, then you can start, um, then you know you can't trust management, what they say as much. But if you have, um, you know, we look at a company like Trade Desk and they've got a CEO, Jeff Green, that continues to deliver for the last 10 years. Well, I'm going to 
listen to what he says and, and take it take it seriously. Yeah, and actually, Trade Desk is an interesting company because it's a uh, an efficiency company for the area of advertising for bidding on placement. I guess that would be the right description, right? It is. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, you know, obviously a lot of the other things had to come back though to, for them. The reason they were punished was because everybody's thinking, Hey, we're going into recession. Advertisers, right. companies are going to pull back. And they were at, they, they were right there. That would be more important than just kicking uh, Google, um, Amazon for their advertising campaign part, meta, part of, yeah. and, and, and meta, right. You know, that was like, uh, that's a pure play. So they kicked no, it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, those are situations you want to see. So uh, macro factors cause a company like that to have its stock fall. But, you know, the company is still strong. And, you know, it's what's going to be great coming out of this, this interest rate hike cycle. And if we're going to start moving back lower, expecting some expansion in the economy, these companies are going to do great. They're going to be um, positioned to do well from, from a revenue standpoint. But then you also have two or three years of, okay, we've got to rationalize costs. So then when you come out of it, earnings are going to be even stronger than they were before. Yeah. So um, you mentioned two turnaround candidates when you sent me a list of things to, to, to sure. think about. And you mentioned um, two companies. One is uh, Shopify, which I always thought was a really fabulous idea firm, right? The, the concept of what they do, which is to allow for, uh, and you can probably give me a little more detail, but uh, small companies to basically open up a shop. Uh, and plug in and have uh, point of sale right from their websites and very easily done, plus tracking engagement numbers and helping with, um, you know, a small little one product company, let's call it that, act like they have the insights and marketing ability of large companies. Would that be the right definition? It, it's That's how they started. Um, so kind of a back office for small internet sale uh, companies. But What's interesting and why we think it's such a potential juggernaut is they don't just work in small business anymore. They work with companies like Coca-Cola and other large firms um, to create the same kind of infrastructure for them as well. So, um, you know, small business, and that's the kind of the through line for the other company too, but the small business is just part of it. But when you start working with large businesses like that, um, your opportunity is so much bigger. Um, we love the management there. Toby Lutke is just a visionary um, kind of created his own thing here in, in the internet that didn't exist before and kind of drives how commerce Right, because before works. you had to basically piece together all sorts of different things and hope to use, you know, like a Twilio and hope to use right. some kind of like a, a credit card merchant account and then maybe some kind of CRM, let's say. Exactly. So very complicated um, but, you know, of course, it's expensive for large companies to do these to build these infrastructures as well. So if you had a turnkey opportunity, um, it's great. So from the standpoint of stock price, Shopify topped out almost at 170 back in 2021, and it fell all the way to twenty four dollars in 22. So that was an 85 percent decline. So, Andrew, we look around the, the world of the stock market. And again, a lot of the companies we loved in 2020 that did really well for us. They, they had this journey in 21 and 22 where they fell 50, 60, 70, 80, 90% in stock price. Mm -hmm. And Shopify is still 55% below its all-time high, even though it's had a, a huge run this year. Um, but, you know, kind of what I alluded to is coming out of this difficult time, they're going to be positive. They were positive on net income for the first time in Q3 this year. 
Um, so a lot of these companies were pre-profit in 2020. So that made them really vulnerable to vulnerable. higher interest yeah, rates. Right. And now we're in a situation where they're a lot stronger from a, from a business point of view and a net income point of view. And the company's still growing in the mid twenties from a revenue standpoint. And it's generating 16% for every dollar of revenue, 16 cents of that goes to the free cash flow line. So this is a you know, a pro, uh, profoundly profitable company in a span of a very short uh, couple of years. They just years. have to get control of expenses. Exactly. So that's that's the theme that we're seeing across the the growth world now is there are a lot of companies that uh, in 2020, all they wanted to do was just, you know, eke out that additional dollar of revenue. And there's been kind of a big change, like I said, in Meta, and it's filtering down into companies like Shopify, where they want to be a lot more judicious with their spend. And that means we're looking at a lot more uh, earnings and rather than the, you know, we, you know, three years ago, we were talking about what's the price to sales to a company. And that's kind of the valuation metric that a lot of people were talking about in growth. But we like that there's an, a positive E in a lot of these businesses now. And it's right. a little bit more. Once we start going, uh, listen, once we start going yeah. off the reservation and trying to find a valuation metric, that always right. concerns me. Completely agree. You know, and Completely I don't know if you were around agree. for eyeballs and things like that back in the day. That's how we I measured. I was not. Yeah, yeah. We measured eyeballs. It's like, what? What are we measuring? Oh, oh in the, in the, the early, uh, yeah. in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The late, yeah. Um, but the other one is square, a block, 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 block. Um, first of all, still don't know why they changed their name, but that's a different discussion. You know, it went from square to block. You know, now I, why? I, I, I call it square too. It's yeah, they go from square error. to block. Maybe they go to rectangle. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll go to equilateral triangle next, or maybe some uh, octa octagon, you know? But for whatever reason, you know, the big move probably cost a million dollars to redesign re all of their marketing and all that block. Let's talk about that and why you're hot on that. So this is another one kind of like Shopify in 2020 was a huge winner. 21, it topped out around 280 a share. It fell all the way to 38 in this October of this year. Yep. Uh, so it's 86%, but we're up 100% since um, in just this kind of two-month period since then. So kind of giving you a sense that investors are looking for these opportunities where- Bargains, bargains, baby. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you never hear uh, value- in the growth space, but this is kind of a new world where, and again, this is a company that was, was not making profit for a long time. Next year is going to be their first net income profitable year trading at a 35 multiple on next year's earnings. So, um, which this, is, this I think company should have been making a profit though. That's the thing that I have about this company. I know I, it's, they, it's, well, Amazon I was the same way for years, right? right Amazon was a different build out. And it was, by the way, block has zero, zero warehouses. Fair point. No Fair bricks point. are being built for some kind of block something, unless it's that we don't know about. But they meandered in and out of different areas. That's the problem I have with them. They didn't stick to their knitting, right? They got into yeah. into, into into crypto. They did all sorts of stuff, and they even did so. I think they changed the name because they needed to get the hell away from their other name. That's the only thing that I can think of. I mean, why they changed yeah, the name it made no sense. A, yeah, I, that could be, but. Uh, so they they do have their hand in a number of different businesses. Um, we love the small business back office kind of infrastructure. You go to your um, your you know your uh, hair salon. They've got a square uh, infrastructure there, that sort of thing. They're moving up the chain as well into larger businesses. They got the cash app. Everyone knows kind of uh, digital payments mm -hmm. is, is a huge thing out there. So that's nice. And um, so these are both merchant. These are most most both these are merchant. Centric. I'm going to ask and it's throw true. out, throw out a, uh, That's a good point. Throw out a um, another stock in the same genre. It's right in between these. I think toast. 
toast. I, I don't know a ton about toast. I, uh, the, what I, what I do know, I like, don't know the numbers, but uh, again, I know that's an, another uh, platform that's really proliferated and you see it everywhere. Yeah. The thing about toast, what I like about it is it's kind of like the early days of Shopify for small companies, right? Where it was a full on solution for everything they were doing for all their merchandise. Toast kind of has that. Now there's other ones out there, but uh, toast is, is compelling. There, there is some issues with the, the to go part of it and some other cost factors. Um, I've heard some, a couple of weird things actually from, from waitresses, but that's anecdotal and local about how, you know, the toast fees are being pushed on them, the waitress to pay. And I was like, what? Oh Lord. Yeah. I was like, but that's not toast related. Right. Um, no. but anyway, we own that actually just full disclosure. Uh, sure. we, we own toast for clients and dipped down to about 14 recently. Um, and, uh, add a little bit more, hold on for dear life because I think it's great. Except to, I think in the 18s now. So that was a nice little move off the bounce on the down. It was just a knee jerk reaction to their, to what I thought was okay earnings and okay outlook, but you know, markets were just not liking anything they saw. Um, then again, well, we've seen the, markets just, uh, hate something one day and go, well, you know, maybe not. <laughs> the next no, day. I, I, again, I think there's a lot less benefit of the doubt for companies than this kind of $10 billion bracket that, than there is for companies in the hundred billion dollar bracket. So, but I think, you know, if you're a long-term investor, that's fine. I always, especially younger clients, I always tell them, Hey, when stock prices go down, that's a, that's opportunity for yep. you. Yep. We'd yep. rather buy a lower prices. And, you know, as long as we know the company's still good, right. Um, you got to kind of turn things on its head. Don't look at it such a short-term viewpoint. You can buy many more shares at a lower price and that's And then that, great if it does grow, it does move. The other one I want to mention, you mentioned this right now, it's the benefit of the doubt. The biggest benefit of the doubt of the year has to go to Apple. Oh, sure. So because we've been, no matter how bad Apple's numbers are, or more recently, how many products they're no longer going to sell. <laughs> They pulled the Apple Watch 2 and the Apple 9, Watch 9 off of their site due to an uh, intellectual property infringement. They're not selling their best-selling watches. And the stock still goes up. It's, in it's interesting you mentioned that because, um, like I said, we're really happy with, uh, with our portfolios now. But we've got a, a kind of a list of about eight or ten stocks that we really want to get into client portfolios. And... The big dilemma for us is how are we going to get them in there? And it's it's funny you mentioned that because Apple has come up as a possibility as a source of funds for us because, like you said, the results aren't really keeping pace with kind of the growth of the stock. Not at all. You know, They've I, had seven quarters of negative uh, revenue growth, right? So I look at, you know, of course, Microsoft is in that same bracket, yep. but they have explosive growth. So mm -hmm. I'm going to stick with Microsoft. I'm going to stick with the meta, the NVIDIA as far as in the Magnificent Seven. But we got to look at, as we look for sources of funds, like you mentioned, if the results aren't really showing, uh, what what sense does it make that the, the stock continues to grow at a level like Microsoft does? So buybacks. Uh, I'm with you. Buybacks. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you as far as, uh, well, the stock price growth has been similar this year. I would say um, definitely want to be careful with Apple. Uh, and it's complicated because a lot of people have huge gains in Apple. So that makes it difficult. Um, I, I have clients coming over with big positions in Apple. Like I want to diversify. I'm like, okay, let's get a few things straight. If we sell any of your Apple, there's big ass taxes on it. They're like, Oh, I yeah. get it. I think 
that must be why part of the reason why it, it holds up so well, but, and then it's also the indexing money and things like that, but it's got everything um, going for it. It's got everything it going for it. You know, it's like, uh, you know, the, the, the guy with all the muscles and the good hair in high school, it's just, you know, he could be the dumbest guy in the world. It doesn't matter. It looks pretty good. You know what I'm saying? Andrew, don't talk about yourself that way. Ah, oh, thanks, Brian. <laughs> Brian, we're going to end it there. Brian Dress from Left Brain. I call it Left Brain Research uh, and Left Brain Advisory and all that. We'll have we'll have the information on how to get in touch with you over on the show notes for episode number 848 over on thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Plus, people can follow you on various social media and all that good stuff. What's your, uh, I'm going to say Twitter, by the way, just like Square. Square is Square. Twitter is Twitter. What is the, your Twitter handle? So we're uh, at Left Brain WM. Uh, we do a lot more on uh, on YouTube though. So if, uh, search us on Left Brain Wealth Management. We're uh, up there twice a week or twice a month rather with uh, Nolan and our CEO Nolan Langford and I do a market recap and our thoughts. And then one other thing I wanted to um, share with the listeners is we we're relaunching our investment idea service this year coming up in twenty twenty four. Cool. Um, that's, we put out five mile portfolios, that's stocks, bonds, income securities, over a hundred actionable ideas on there that comes out, uh, it's updated quarterly and that's going to be 99 a month or 999 a year for, uh, for folks that want to sign up with that. So Which get means, up on our, by web- the way, quick math, two months free, two months free. Exactly. So check on our website, fill out the form and get in touch with me and we'll get in touch with you early in next year as we, as we relaunch that. So, Perfect. Brian dress, you uh, have a wonderful Wonderful Christmas and a a fabulous new year. Thanks so much for uh, coming on again. Appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. Happy holidays to all the listeners, and uh, we'll see you again next time. All right, thanks. And that will wrap it up for the pre-Christmas holiday message podcast from the Disciplined Investor. Thank you for joining me. I'm Andrew Horowitz. I'll be here again, of course, throughout 2024. If you have any great guest ideas, do me a favor. Let me know. If you want more information about what we do, let me know. If you want to talk, let me know. I can't go out there actively, go through the wires and through the internet and through all the podcast apps and grab you by the throat and say, hey, 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 let's do something together. But I got to leave that to you. So let's get something going into the new year and forward. And anything that you need, I'm here for. You have questions, we can send them in. We haven't had like a, a an Ask Andrew question deal very much recently. We could do that again in 2024. And we're committed actually to do some webinars as well into 2024 because you asked for them and you really like when we do those. Thank you for joining me this week. Have a great holiday. I'll see you again right around the corner. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, The information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results, and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered 
or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.